begins to unfold. Elijah comes to us in chapter 17 in the book of 1 Kings as I've spent a couple of weeks sharing the time frame in which he ministered. And I'm not going through all of that other than, as we know, Baal worship. Baal worship had infiltrated Israel, the northern tribes. Baal worship was being shared by Jezebel, the wife of Ahab. And as a result, the people have fallen into idolatry, and thus from idolatry is apostasy. And the scripture says that the word of the Lord comes to Elijah the Tishbite, who is of the inhabitants of Gilead, a mountainous region. And he goes to Ahab, and he has the strength. And that takes the power of God to stand before the king as a lone prophet and to speak to him about the condition of his own soul, the condition of the land, and the response that he believes is necessary to turn the hearts to the people. In this particular passage of Scripture, it's here in chapters one, excuse me, chapter 17, verses 1 through 3, where he says that the heavens will give no rain. He said that there will be neither rain nor dew these many years, but according to my word. And so the heavens are going to be shut up. And when I first looked at that for just a moment, I thought to myself, well, we have no biblical exhortation. We have no biblical record of what gave Elijah the, 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 the audacity to tell the king that, that, he, that heaven was going to be locked up. As a matter of fact, there's no prayer even mentioned in 1 Kings 17, 1 through 3. But when we read what James said, James writing by the inspiration of the Spirit of God said that Elijah, man subject to like passions, as we are, prayed earnestly that it would not rain. So he stood confidently in front of the king because he had stood confidently before God. And his confidence before God, he had petitioned God to lock up heaven. Now the thing that I began to see as I began to study this out, I began to think what would give him the audacity of faith to put a demand on God to lock up heaven? In one sense, it seems cruel. Another sense, we might say, well, what would make him think he's the judge of the entire land? But then when I began to put this together, the Holy Spirit began to put this together in my heart and mind. I found myself in Deuteronomy chapter number 11. And in Deuteronomy chapter number 11, verse number 14, we're going all the way back to Moses when Moses is giving instruction to ancient Israel. Joe's got it on the screen, and we're going to follow this. This was a prophetic word that is made to the children of Israel that was made with promise. So look at this. He said, I will give you the rain of your land in due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in the corn, the wine, and the oil. We'll turn it over. It says, and I will send grass in your field for the cattle that thou mayest eat and be full. So that's a prophetic word to the children of Israel of a promise that God's going to send rain upon the land that they're about to, to take possession of. But then here is a warning. But take heed to yourself that your heart be not deceived. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, which is exactly what Israel was doing through the introduction of Baal worship. So now the 17th verse, and then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut, there's that term, and God shuts up the heaven. And so the reason why Elijah had the strength and the audacity of faith to tell the king that heaven was going to be shut up because in his prayer closet, he had petitioned God according to a biblical promise. He had said, God, you said in your word that you would bless our field. But if we fell into idolatry, you would shut up heaven that there would be no rain. Now, whenever God shut up heaven, the intent was that the subsequent drought and potential famine would cause the people to turn back to God. God was always merciful. 
It was not just in punishment, but God was in, uh, his heart was to lead the people to repentance. So we're starting to see this unfold right here. So this prayer that is famous about locking heaven comes through biblical promise. Let's go a little bit farther. Then we also see quickly he's directed to Zarephath. Now this is, we're just going to journey because we got to, we want to catch up with the prophet in a minute. But I don't want to jump immediately to where I want you to be at without seeing where he got there because each step is layering. It's building upon the faith. How many know that's the way our faith is? That we grow from glory to glory, from faith to faith. And so as we build upon uh, our own personal experiences, we've proven God and found him faithful. Right? We have. We have found him to be faithful to his word. Here he's directed to Cherith, or to uh, uh, the brook Cherith, the scripture says. And it's there that he's promised that during the early days of the rain and the dew not following, then it doesn't take long for famine to begin to happen. But at the same time, there he's hiding the prophets away from the king who will be seeking for his life. So he's beside the brook. And this is a famous passage of Scripture. And as I was meditating upon that, I thought, well, you know, I don't really have a biblical precedence there that I, or a promise that I can see because the Bible says that the Lord provided for him by ravens. And ravens were bringing him bread. And this is actually physical bread that they were bringing, but they were also bringing flesh or meat. The Lord would not have brought him unclean things. It wouldn't have come from the uh, flesh of a, of, a, uh, of a swine or something that he was forbidden according to the Mosaic law. And so as I was meditating about this and I was contemplating, I thought, now how do we see, you know, in this moment, the prophet is just receiving what God said. By prophetic unction, the word of the Lord came to him and said, I want you to go to Cherith. And how many of you know we have prophetic unctions in our spirit? And God tells us to do things, right? And yet at the same time, when he does, we want it to be in harmony with the way that he's already revealed himself. That'll keep us from falling into error. And I thought to myself, how is it that God would bring a raven and bring him flesh and bread? And where would that raven obtain that? And what was the biblical promise? And then I found myself in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 22, the scripture says, I have commanded the wealth of the sinner. To be laid up for the just. Now let me tell you what I believe happened. I believe in Ahab's own household. I believe in his kitchen. Right as the cook was taking the food that had been prepared in the king's oven. To put it on the platter and to walk through the halls of his, of his uh, home or house or his kingdom. And bring it and put it down in front of Ahab and in front of Jezebel. When suddenly, through the window casement, a raven would sweep in, drop down and take the king's bread. And bring it to his man hidden beside the brook Cherith. Because God had told the people through Solomon, I'll take the wealth of the, of the wicked and bring it to the righteous, glory to God. Man, I could stop right there and have church. But I'm going somewhere, so y'all stay with me. We're trying to get into Elijah, because Elijah was a man subject to like passions like you are. And yet he prayed earnestly that God would lock and unlock heaven, and God responded. I want to have that type of confidence before the Lord. I may not be unlocking and locking heaven in the sense of uh, d uh, affecting entire destinies of nations, but in my own little world, 
in the, my family and my church family, I want to have a confidence that I can get a hold of God and God will respond. So then I see in verse number 8 that the word of the Lord, that's that prophetic unction, comes to him and directs him to Zarephath. And at Zarephath, and I could preach all over this, I have in days gone by, he's directed to a widow to sustain him. I'm sure that when Elijah heard that prophetic word, a widow, in that culture, many times widows were the impoverished people. And, uh, and, and truly to that knowledge, she was impoverished. He didn't know that until he arrived there, but I'm sure he presumed that. That, you know, in his mind, he would have thought, the Lord would have said, I've directed thee unto the house of the richest man in all of Zarephath to take care of you. But no, he would take him to an impoverished widow who was standing outside the city gates gathering sticks that she, might, she was despairing of life. By now, the famine has reached all the way to Sidon, just north of the land of Israel. And as a result, it's actually the birthplace of Baal worship. God was hiding his prophet right in the backyard of the enemy. Man, there's a word right there, isn't it? God will hide his man right there and provide for him. And I was looking at that particular passage, and I was thinking again, do we have a prophetic precedence or a prophetic promise when he made a prophetic proclamation? This is that famous passage when she said, I've just got enough meal uh, for just, uh, you know, for me and my son when he had asked her to bring him a cake. And he said, I'll tell you what, if you'll go back inside your house. Now, he's speaking prophetically to a woman who has only enough meal, only enough oil to provide one bread for her son and herself, and that's going to be their last meal. But the prophet makes a prophetic declaration based upon a biblical promise that if you'll obey the word of God, God promises that he'll provide for us. And the cruise of oil will not fail, and the barrel of meal will not waste away until the Lord sends rain on the earth. And I was thinking about that, and I said, now, God, where is the biblical? precedence we have no record of the multiplication of bread until this particular and then I thought no that's not right then I remembered the children of Israel in the wilderness journey and in the wilderness journey it was captured by the psalmist and the psalmist in Psalm 105 verse number 40 through verse number 42 talked about during the wilderness journey the children of Israel ate bread and flesh every day that God supernaturally Without them planting, without them sowing, without them reaping, without them raising of the, of the quail, God just supernaturally brought it. And so when the man of God is speaking prophetically to the woman, he's not doing so just in the presumption of his own soul. He's doing it because there's a prophetic precedence that's been revealed in the Word of God. What does that mean? That means if God did it once, he's prone to do it again. Come on, now you've got to get that inside you. You know, we prayed for you to be healed a while ago. The reason why we do it is because if God's done it once, then aren't we, who are we to not say that God won't do it again? God will do it again because I read in the Word He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so now the prophet is prophesying to the woman, and you know the end of the story. She obeyed the Word of the Lord. Let me know that's key. you got to obey the Word of the Lord. And God answered the prophetic proclamation that was made. Now we see another. Again, this is a layer. Just real quickly gleaning over this. Sometime as he dwells in the house of the widow, the scripture says that her son dies. The one that was outside the city gate. 
Her heart is devastated. She runs to the man of God, and she says, you know, my son, you know, have you come to judge me? She feels condemnation at that moment. Perhaps uh, the, the child is a result of a sinful situation. She's judging herself, and she says, have you come to judge me as a result of to my sin? And the prophet takes the child up into the bedchamber in which he's staying, lays the child out on the bed, and he begins to cry out to God. He's actually petitioning the Lord. We see that in the word of the Lord. The scripture says here that he cried, verse number 20, unto the Lord. That's petitioning. He's asking God. He's interceding. He's trusting the Lord. And I began to think about that. And I, I want to remember now, I told you that God teaches me by looking at other biblical examples to see if there is a coalition, if there's a, something coordinated there together. And I looked and I realized, I said, you know what? This is the first. He's calling upon God to raise the dead. How many of you believe with God all things are possible? But here's the thing. At that particular time, according to the biblical record, there had been no person raised from the dead. That's the actual first recorded instant in all the Word of God at that particular time in human history. We have no biblical record. So Elijah's not able, so I thought, to say, God, you did it once, now do it again. And then I thought, and I believe the Spirit of God quickened something inside me. And I about had church in my own office there on Friday. Because then I remembered what the writer of the book of Hebrews said. And he told about a man that lived before Elijah called Abraham. And the writer of the book of Hebrews tells the story of when Abraham was to go up the mountains of Moriah with his son Isaac to offer him in sacrifice and, and, and which, again, was uh, repulsive to Abraham, and it was repulsive to God, but God was proving Abraham. You know that in the record. He was proving him, and Abraham turned to his son when his son asked a question. He said, Father, we have the wood, and we have the fire, but we, where's the sacrifice? Abraham said these words, My son, God himself shall provide for himself a lamb or a sacrifice. And so we know when he stretched him out and he raised the dagger high in the air that was in the full intention of Abraham to drive the dagger deep into the beating chest of his son and slay his son and sacrifice to God. His hand was halted by the voice of an angel and, 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 and it was revealed that he, God was only proving Abraham. But the writer of Hebrews looked back at that instance. And that writer of Hebrews said that Abraham was standing there by faith. For he supposed in his heart that God was able to raise the dead. And so when I saw that, I said, well, wait just a minute. Elijah did have a biblical precedence. Because he could say, God, my father Abraham received his son back from the dead. And if you did it once... Then you'll do it again, glory to God. Does that make sense to you today? I'll tell you what, I was already getting my, my dancing shoes on in my office right there. And I, the Lord wasn't through. He was taking me deeper, layer upon layer. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the Lord restored the child. How I many you know we got to pray? Aided by prophetic utterance, 
When the Spirit of God quickens inside you, that's what prophetic utterance is. That's when that thing bubbles up on the inside of you. If you're genuinely born of the Holy Spirit, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, then the Spirit of God will bubble up. That's what the word to me, prophesy in the Hebrew, means it will bubble up. The Spirit of God will bubble up in utterance or direction. And you know that's from the Lord. You've got to heed that. But when that bubbles up, it still has to be in harmony with biblical precedence. Right? Or it's got to be a direct revelation of a biblical promise. And we see that in the Word of God. And when you begin to get that inside you, then you're going to be able to learn how to call upon the name of the Lord and to be able to see heaven open for you. Many times we walk away from prayer frustrated because we're not seeing the thing that we're hoping for. The reason why is we're not praying in faith and we're not praying accordance to biblical precedence or biblical promise. Let's go a little bit farther. Are y'all out there today? Then we see that the word of the Lord came to Elijah, gives him instruction. We won't deal much with this, but he's to go back to Ahab. Now, you know what? Now, I'm telling you, that's when you question that voice that's speaking to you. Because you think to yourself, that Ahab wants to kill me. He's the most wanted man. If you were to go into the post office of Israel in those days, there would be Elijah's picture. If the little children at school would be drinking their milk and they're on the carton, it would say, the nation's most wanted. And if you'd have stayed up at night and watched Dateline, you'd show, see that they were still looking for the prophet Elijah. And so he was like, I'm sure in reasoning, he's like, no, no, I don't think that's really the right thing to do. But the prophetic utterance inside him, the Lord said, go to Ahab because I'm getting ready to send rain. And I thought about that and I said, where would he gain the courage? I'm telling you, that takes bold courage. To be able to confront the monarch who controls whether a person lives or dies and reprove them of their faith. But see, in in Leviticus 26, and I didn't give this scripture, the scripture promised that Israel, by the hand of God, could stand in front of their enemies. How many of you know that God will give you courage when you need it the most? There are some times you say, well, pastor, if I ever face a situation, how will I ever be able to? You can't presume how you're going to react right now. All you do is trust that when you face that situation, the God of all grace will give you the courage and the faith to be able to address the situation that's in front of you. And Elijah hastily moves to Ahab. And and this is where he's led to Mount Carmel, the famous encounter upon the mountain where the two opposing ideologies and and, uh, uh, religions, that of Baal worship and that of Yahweh worship, come to a major clash that day. That day it's coming to a head. It's in this moment that all the people of Israel are gathered there. We were here two weeks ago. We've kind of touched on it just a little bit, but we're going to start making this as applicable as we can because I want to see, I want to see God respond when you pray. Listen, I want testimonies to be written. Why can't books be written about the people of Heber Springs First Assembly? So that a hundred years from now, somebody will be going through the archives of Pentecostal history. And the Lord will say that there, were a, there was a people group, come on, in a valley in Heber Springs, surrounded by mountains that got a hold of God. And God began to open heaven and pour out blessings upon them. Why can't it be that way? I believe it can But we've got to believe God. We've got to pray according to a biblical promise and a biblical precedence. So in this particular instance, now you know this is life or death, neighbor. This is real. This is not just a storybook. 
This is not just told in children. This is human beings that have been seduced into idolatry through Baal worship. Baal worshipers and the priesthood are leading the people in an apostate religion that is filled with sexual iniquity. You've heard me talk about it. Made some of you blush when I talk about it. I'm not going there. And Elijah said by the prophetic word, it's coming to a head today. At the end of the day, the people of Israel are no longer going to stand between two opinions. If God be God, then worship him. But if Baal be God, then worship him. And Elijah even said it this way, the God that answers by fire, let him be God. Hmm. Isn't that powerful? You know that biblical record, you'll have to read it on your own. But the scripture says that Elijah said, you get to go first. And the prophets of Baal erected an altar, took a bullock, laid it out on the altar, and they began to do whatever idolaters do. They began to chant. They began to murmur. They began to shake beads, jump up and down. They began to cry out, Oh, Baal, would you answer by fire? About noontime, Elijah mocked them. He wasn't always uh, as nice as uh, Pastor Brown would be. And the prophet there is mocking them and saying, Maybe you need to dial a phone. You know, what is it in the old uh, game world where you dial a phone, dial a friend, somebody, dial somebody? You need to come. Maybe he's gone on vacation. Maybe he's asleep, the prophet said. Maybe you got to wake him up a little bit. And so they, they, they prayed even harder and they began to cut themselves until blood, till their own blood gushed out of their side and covered the altar until the time of the evening sacrifice. And there was no fire from heaven and then Elijah called the people near and he said rebuild the altar of God that's fallen down take 12 new stones and put around it give me the bullock and they laid the bullock on the altar and then he said I want you to do something in a time of great drought I want you to bring fresh bubbling water and pour it on the sacrifice and then I want you to cut a trench all the way around it and fill it with water and they did it and they said it's not enough go do it again and he filled it again and then he prayed a prayer and he prayed a prayer of prophetic unction and anointing of God. And he said, and it's a powerful passage of Scripture, but he just called upon the Lord to answer by fire. And I thought about that, and I said, oh God. I said, what would give this holy man? It's one thing to pray for rain. Pray, rain is a natural thing that God's put in, this, in the ecosystem to water the earth. He can hold it back, or he can send it forth when he wants to. But fire does not ordinarily fall from heaven. That's outside. What would give him the audacity of faith, the boldness of faith, to believe that when he prayed on the mount that day in the presence of apostates to call upon God, what would give? It was because of a biblical precedence that had been set. And as I began to think about that, my mind went back to the tabernacle of Moses. And when the tabernacle of Moses that what we call the wilderness tabernacle was first erected. Listen to this. When they first erected it and they put the first sacrifice on the altar in the courtyard, Moses did not light the fire. But the Bible says in Leviticus chapter, this is why you read the book of Leviticus, because God will speak to you out of it. In Leviticus 9.24, the Bible says, Fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the, upon the altar the burnt offering and all that the people saw 
what? And they shouted and they fell on their faces. And I said, my God, that's an example right there. Then I found out that when David erected an altar on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite, where the temple would be built later, when he did, David called upon the name of the Lord. And when he did, fire fell from heaven. And then I found that later, when his son Solomon built a temple in the same place that David had altered, uh, offered sacrifice, Solomon prayed and prayed to God and fire fell. And so that day... Let me tell you the reason why the man of God was so emboldened to pray and to say, God, do something outside the ordinary. Do something outside the law of nature. Go beyond. I want to see, God, you drop fire from heaven and consume the sacrifice. It's because God had done it once. God had done it twice. And God had done it the third time. And God, in Elijah's eyes, if he had done it once, he'll do it again. Isn't that what we sing in the song? God, if you've done it once, you'll do it again. And so, church family, I came along to tell you, if you're going to get answers from God, you've got to pray according to a biblical precedence. You've got to call upon the name of the Lord. And when the Spirit of God quickens inside you and says, this is the biblical precedence, that's when you square your shoulders back and you pray with confidence. Because if you ask anything according to His will, then he hears you. And if he hears you, then you have the very petitions that you desired of him. Isn't that good, church family? Now, you, I know you're thinking, man, pastor, that's a good word. I know. I'm just now. Now I'm through with the introduction. Woo, I'm about ready to run in here today. My God, I hadn't even got to the good stuff just yet. I just laid the layers down of the foundation. Now I'm taking you where I want you to go. Now that fire has fallen... When the people saw the fire fall, they said, my God, Yahweh is God. Right? And then there was conflict. They took the prophets of Baal down by the brook, and they slew them there. And let's go to the biblical narrative. Let's find out what happens from there. And this is where it gets real personal to you here today. This is what God sent me here today to give you this word. You're privileged to be in this house. I can't say what's going up on the hill or across or down the road, but I can tell you you're privileged to be here today because God wants you to be emboldened in faith for the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions just like you are, but he prayed earnestly that heaven was locked up, and for three and a half years, the heavens were locked up because he prayed according to a biblical promise. And now we come to the moment where the heavens are opened. Some of you need heaven opened in your life today. You need these principles. You need to be able to have that confidence. Come on, isn't that what John said? This is the confidence. This is the con Some of you think if I'm just sad enough in God's presence that he'll be compassionate enough to respond. I'm going to hopefully not hurt you too bad in saying this, but I'm telling you that sympathy is not what moves the heart of God, but it takes faith. Faith is what God responds to. God is compassionate. He's loving and he's merciful. But the thing that will cause him to stand up, 
the thing that will cause him to send angels on your behalf, the thing that will cause him to do things outside the normal order of life. It's not normal for fire to fall from heaven and land in one specific. You're talking about a strategic missile. That was the very first one right there, fell from heaven right there on the altar in the presence of all the people. I'm telling you, were God to do that on your behalf, church family, you've got to have faith. Come on, you've got to have faith. We, I'm tired of us being the faithless generation. If they were to write our history right now, it would be written this way. We believed in but didn't know how to believe for. But I come along to tell you it's time to flip that and say not only do we believe in, but we know how to believe for because we're going to pray according to God's precedence and His promises. So let's read this and let's see what God wants to say to us here today. And this is the finality in this passage in this narrative. And Elijah then, after the prophets of Baal have been slain, said to Ahab, get thee up, eat and drink. Let's read it on down and then let me break it down. He said, get thee up, Ahab, eat and drink, for there is a sound of an abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink and Elijah went up. To the top of Carmel. And he cast himself down upon the earth and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and he looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And he said, Go up. Say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot, and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meantime, or in the meanwhile, that the heaven was black with clouds, and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, here's this narrative expounded. For in this lies two great mysteries that God wants you to see and understand. For it will help you unlock heaven and to see the hand of God in your family. Open your heart wide today and let the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit write these truths eternally in the recesses of your own spirit so that you hold these as a part of who you are. For with these, you will have the ability to lock up and unlock. You'll have the ability to call upon God and see God do great things in your family. You'll not have to live in despair, sorrow, weakness of heart, but you'll say, my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think according to the power that is at work within me. For in this narrative, I see a mystery that I want to see unfolded for you today. Elijah's gone to the top of Mount Carmel. And the scriptural record is, is that he has cast himself down upon the earth. Mount Carmel is a small mountainous region that's running, it lies near to the Mediterranean Sea, and it's believed by scholars that this particular incident took place towards the southern part of the mountain. As the mountain does not lay east or west, but it lays kind of diagonally this way, particularly as this would be north on my side, north from you laying this direction to the west, kind of northwest to southeast. That's the way the mountainous region. And the highest place is at the southeast part of the mountain or the southern part of the mountain. It's believed that there Elijah went because there is a plateau there that even to this day on a clear day you can see all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. And it's believed that it was there that the prophet cast himself. Now get the 
picture for just a moment. Elijah is not sitting, as you and I might would say, Indian style, but he's seated in his prayer, That's the posture of prayer, which is akin to the Eastern way of praying. He would be, have knelt this way. It says that his head is between his knees like this as he prays this way. And so he commences prayer, and he sends his servant, and his servant goes and returns. And the, he asks uh, about what is going on, and he went up and looked, and he simply said, he really didn't ask, 43rd verse. He just said, go look towards the sea. Catch this. He went up and looked, and he said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. Now, let me tell you how we've taught this in days gone by in the church, and we've made error. I've made error about this, but God brought revelation. Many of the newer translations record this differently than the, new, or than the King James Version that you see up here. I believe the King James translators to be more accurate in this translation of the passage because many of the newer translations will say that Elijah said seven times to his servant, go back. As if the picture is this. Elijah, like the prophets of Baal, is now praying more earnestly as he comes back the second time to no avail. Go back the third time. And he begins to pray, beating and spiting the ground. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, read it carefully. He didn't say to him seven times, go back. He said one time, go seven times. Because, and I got to thinking about that, and I said, no, whoa, 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 I saw it for the very first time. And I said, whoa, just wait just a minute. God, what are you saying? One time the prophet said, go seven times. Why would, so he made a prophetic declaration. Not based upon his petition, but based upon the unction that's in his spirit. Go seven times. Why seven? Because seven is the number of completion. Because God worked for six days. And on the seventh, he rested. So I said, oh my God, I feel that right there, Lord. I said, I feel that. So he gave a prophetic, wait just a minute, remember biblical precedence. But wait, there's more, there's beyond that. Seven is also the number of cleansing. So when you read in the word of God, per example, the sin offering. The priest would take the blood of the sin offering. He would sprinkle it seven times. And when the seventh time was sprinkled, he would announce the people clean. When someone was a leper and they had lived outside the colony until it was determined whether or not they were clean or not, when they came back into Israel, they were sprinkled seven times and the priest would proclaim them clean. If their house had been potentially contaminated, once it was determined that the house was clean, then they would sprinkle it seven times and declare it clean. And on the day, on the holiest day of all the year, when the priest went beyond the veil into the holy place with the blood of a bullock to give the sin offering on the Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. He would sprinkle the blood seven times. So seven is not only the number of completion but it was also the number of cleansing and Elijah was prophetically declaring that God in his sovereign grace was cleansing the people of their sin of idolatry. And then I thought my God that's so powerful and then I said you know what it's also the number of conquest because on the seventh time around the city of Jericho the walls fell flat. And so there's biblical precedence right there. And I was already having a runaway in my office because I said, my God, look at that. Do I see that in my own spirit? 
Because there are times in my own life that I've found myself petitioning over and over again as if I, through much prayer, I'm going to unlock God. Let me tell you, you can pray over and over again, unbelief, doubt, and never unlock God. But one time, the man of God said, go seven times, and I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to kneel right here, trusting in the Lord. I'm resting in God. I'm believing that when you get back on the seventh time, God's not only cleansed the nation, but God has also completed this work, and the heavens are about to grow dark, and we're going to see rain, because I hear the sound of the key. The key is faith, and the faith key is turning the lock that's got the water shut off for three and a half years, and the man of God was not moving from his place, and he was believing where God had already promised what he did once. He would do it again because he was praying according to biblical promise. My God, that's good right there, church family. That might not make a Baptist run, but that'll make you run in this house today. Because I'm telling you, you got to get where you're at in God. And say, you know what, i got to quit whining, complaining, flopping on the altar, praying unbelief and doubt. God, I'm just begging you to do it. No, how about you just sit in God resting in His completed work and say, God, you promised it. And so I'm going to believe it. And if you said it, God, you're going to bring it to pass. Glory to God. My goodness, in Jesus' name, I feel that. It's going to change the way you pray. It's going to change the way you petition God. And you say, well, Pastor, I'm not even through yet, despite somebody's phone that just dinged. I got to finish this. Because the best is yet to come. And it's been pretty good so far already. You got to pray by prophetic unction. Come on, why don't we just be the people? I've been kind of wrestling with that in my spirit. And, you know, there for a while I was kind of starting when I was sitting under the juniper tree. I was starting to say, well, God, maybe it's past us by. Maybe our moment, maybe, maybe this, maybe that. But all of a sudden, something has shifted inside of me. And I'm beginning to see clearly, differently again, that it's time for us to awaken faith in a new generation. To see men and women believe God once again. Let's, time, church family, base your experience with God based upon biblical precedence. And biblical promise. If God said he would do it, he'll do it. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not changing his mind. If he said it, he'll do it. Here's the last one I want you to see real quick as I close. And I thought, okay, what gave him the promise? What gave him the what? Well, there has to be something. That, now, let's see if we can put all this together. Joe's going to help me in a minute. He's going to put a couple of scriptures. And so I want to I see if I can see this. So I want you to see this. Picture this in your mind, the, the mountain that's running, that's running from northwest to southeast, diagonally, along the Mediterranean coast just a little bit. Far enough, I mean, excuse me, close enough that on a clear day, the servant could go to the top of the mountain. He could look west, and he could see the black cloud. But the prophet is knelt down. And he's on his face before God, and he's looking. And I thought to myself, there's something about that. It's not mentioned in the Word, but it's mentioned in the Word. And I was praying about that, and I said, wait a minute, let me see what's going on in this passage. And it's here that the Lord brought something that I'd never contemplated before. But it empowered me in my prayer time to know that when you pray according to a promise, let me tell you, church family, 
you have the potential to unlock heaven. Let's see this in closing. And in 2 Chronicles, chapter number 6, at the dedication of the temple several years earlier, King Solomon prayed a prayer. Listen to his prayer. Solomon who lived before Elijah. Now, don't start checking out in your mind right now. You're going to miss the, the apex of this message. Don't you say, this is what Solomon prayed. Solomon said, when the heaven is shut up, click lock. When the heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against thee, yet if they pray toward this place, now, just, we're going to go somewhere with this for just a moment. We're going to catch this in just a second. And you're going to see something come together. So the servant, seven times, to the number of fulfillment. But the man of God is looking southwest, excuse me, southeast off the mountain because he's praying according to biblical promise. And he remembers what Solomon said. So I'll tell you why the man of God, for us, was looking this direction right here. It's because he was praying towards Jerusalem. He said, if they pray towards this place, this is what Solomon... Now, this was not a promise. This was a petition made by Solomon. Let's read it. And confess your name and turn from your sin when you afflict them. Look at this next verse. I think we will. There it is. Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and of your people Israel. So there it was. There's what a petition was made by Solomon. And Solomon prayed this prayer. And the biblical record was when he prayed that prayer, after he said amen, the fire fell on the altar. And that fire was an exclamation point that God had heard his prayer. But God in his sovereign grace then came to Solomon at night. And I believe that this is what empowered the man of God as it all comes together and it will come together in your spirit as well. If you allow the Holy Spirit to awaken it on the inside of you when you pray. Elijah with his head pointing towards Jerusalem down as he's believing God is doing so because in this next passage in chapter number 7 Verse number 13, and let's see if now it makes more sense when you read this famous passage of Scripture. In 2 Chronicles chapter number 7 and verse number 13, we're going to read it there together. Look at it. God said now, this is not Elijah speaking, this, or excuse me, this is not Solomon speaking, but this is God speaking to Solomon in response to his prayer. He had already said, I've heard your prayer and I've answered your prayer. And I've chosen to put my name there, right there on this house. And now he said, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, and I command the locusts to devour the land, if I send pestilence upon my people, but if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways... Then God said, I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. And so the man of God, Elijah, who was subject to like passions like you are, the reason why heaven was open is because he prayed according to the biblical promise. And he said, God, you said in your word, if I would look towards Jerusalem, and if I would humble myself and pray, then you would hear from heaven, 
you would heal our land in the 15th verse. If we can read that. Now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attentive unto the prayer that is made in this place. And by that time, it was time to run in the office right there. Glory to God. Sister Sherry don't have a clue what's going on in there when that door shuts. And the reason why I came along to this house today to tell you, God wants to answer your prayer, but you got to pray in faith. you got to pray according to a prophetic unction. you got to pray according to biblical precedence and biblical promise. And when you pray in faith, church family, when you pray in faith, then you can begin to hear the sound of the key that's turning heaven's lock. And God's going to begin to answer and send rain to the parchments of your soil. What a promise for us here today. Let's see if we tie it all together. 1 John chapter number 5. If we pray anything in accordance with his will, then he hears us. And if he hears us, then we have the very petitions that we asked him for. Church, why are we not seeing God move in our lives the way that we ought? It's because we're not praying according to biblical precedence and biblical promise. But it can change. Y'all stand up with me today. I know it's past noon hour today, but I don't care. Come on, somebody. This is a house of prayer. This is a house of prayer.